From the Geo Professional Business Association, this is COVID Concerns, a podcast dedicated to providing GBA members and friends timely industry advice and best practices from your peers in the geo professional industry. Things are changing quickly as we all learn more about the virus and its impacts to our industry. With that in mind, remember what you hear on our podcast is the opinion of the speaker and is not intended to be advice. Please do your own follow-up research and make sure to check our show notes for links, clarifications, and additional information. This is episode two and has been sponsored by the Geo Professional Business Association. This episode was recorded on April 10th and includes audio from a town hall meeting that GBA organized and hosted. We hope you appreciate the valuable information that these speakers are about to share. All right. Good morning, everybody. I hope everyone is well. Good Friday. I'm Joel Carson, the executive director of GBA. And as I've been talking to our members across North America in the past few weeks, I've heard how challenging these times are for everyone. While many people are faced with the same challenges, not everyone has the answers to those challenges. And it's a very dynamic business climate. As leaders, we all need to stay on top of the changes that are occurring weekly and in some cases daily. So GBA is hosting this call to facilitate dialogue amongst members to share lessons learned, best practices, and identify things to look for in the future. And this is really the culture of GBA, uh, to share our experiences and to learn from each other. And out of that idea, this town hall meeting was born. The focus of today's town hall meeting is health and safety. And in a minute, I'm going to introduce to you our knowledgeable panel of industry leaders for our discussion. And so without further delay, I'd like to introduce our panelists for today. Our first panelist is Rick Eckerd. He's the Senior Vice President of Health, Safety and Learning at GZA. And Rick is joining us from his home in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, hey everyone. Our second uh, facilitator is Paula Lott and she's the Corporate Director of Safety for Gannett Fleming. Paula joins us from her home in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Paula. Morning. And our last facilitator is Jim Wright, and he's the Director of Safety and Health at Terracon. And Jim is joining us from Olathe, Kansas, in the Kansas City uh, metropolitan area. Good morning, morning, Jim. Morning. So let's start with the questions. As business leaders, our top priority must be the safety of our employees. And most firms, great companies, have crisis planning and management plans in place for just such occurrences as this pandemic that we're seeing today. And I'll start with Paula. Paula, will you please describe to us how Gannett Fleming plans to respond to crisis and a little bit about your management risk uh, that uh, comes in need for these unplanned events. Sure. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate the opportunity to discuss these issues. We've been working hard again at Fleming. Um, We've had business continuity plans for many years, and the structure includes corporate management team 
and a local crisis response team for all of our 68 regional offices around the country and beyond. Uh, the corporate management team engages the C-suite in any crisis, which in the past has been limited to geographical focus for things like hurricanes or floods, something that we could predict. The local response teams are responsible for communicating um, with like landlords or office employees and taking care of IT issues in the event of uh, a hurricane or a flood or a fire. As far as uh, our emergency preparation. We, we have an emergency alert system that we call Alert Me, and one of our companies that we own has created that. And we use that to alert employees in the event of an emergency. So um, when, our, when there is an emergency and it, we have a new hire employee comes on board, they're required to give us all of their emergency contact information. So if there's an emergency in a geographic region, we can shoot a message to those um, specific individuals, or we can set it nationwide like we have been for the latest uh, pandemic issues. Now, of course, as far as risk goes, our business continuity planning is, takes all that into consideration because Gannon Fleming's ISO certified, so risk management is really important to us, and uh, of course, we take that very seriously along the way. Thank you, Paula. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick, how does GZA plan to respond in crisis? Well, um, we, we have some of the things um, it, that uh, Paula was just talking about. Um, and, and basically, we, we rely on our emergency, sort of our company emergency plan to accommodate these things. That includes things like local office emergency plans. And um, in this particular case, we decided to supplement that plan with an entirely new plan. It's, it's something like this is not something you can um, foresee happening or that you would foresee in it's any type of, type of risk assessment, formal process or anything like that. So um, it did take some, some um, additional plan and some, a lot of work to get a, 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 that additional plan together. Um, you know, a lot of companies have plans that were in place for things like H1N1, avian flu, um, those types of things. So luckily we, we had a plan like that as well and were able to, to modify that instead of um, coming up with something completely from scratch for this particular issue. Great. Jim, does Terracon take a similar approach? Very similar to what Paula said with the hurricane. We've, we've had these uh, crisis management plans and I think the biggest difference between this event and what we had done in the past was the fact that this hit the entire nation. We had a little bit of a heads up in the Pacific Northwest where we were, we started our crisis management up in that area, but it quickly developed and hit all the lower 48 states. So uh, that was the biggest difference with this one. I think uh, with our team that we get together, uh, we always make sure that every corporate department is represented HR, which brings in benefits and, and employee issues, legal, IT, safety. But the most important thing is that operations is represented in every one of these plans. We don't want any of this to come down as like uh, some corporate managed process. It's got to be uh, a partnership and making sure that operations is involved. And this, this particular incident was more difficult because of that widespread is how do you pick uh, the key operations people. So one thing that we did 
was the overall corporate response team, but then every one of our 12 divisions is also having uh, their own response teams that sort of take the information the corporate group puts out and then handle it at the corporate level and even down to the larger offices. And it makes for a whole lot of conference calls, but the communication has been really good. Yeah, we'll talk about the importance of communication in just a little bit. Um, so it, it, but I think the really good point here is that each of your firms had a crisis management plan in place. This crisis may have really stretched that plan and, and required that you uh, do something a little bit different uh, or uh, really boost up that plan. But uh, coming out of this event, it, it sounds like uh, when we get past this current event, that firms that don't currently have a crisis plan in place or a, or a crisis management plan in place should seriously consider that because it sounds like it's provided great value to each of your firms, um, despite the fact that you've had to modify it some way uh, for this particular event. So thank you very much for that. So the business climate has changed weekly and sometimes daily in the past few weeks or by the hour in some cases. Uh, Rick, what has been your biggest challenge over the past few weeks? Uh, well, Joe, one of the things you just mentioned, the, the information has been kind of like a fire hose and just trying to, to absorb that information has been a big challenge. Um, and not only absorb it, but to sort of pick out the things that really matter versus the things that didn't matter and getting that information out um, in a, a, a quick and also efficient way to staff so that they can use that information has been a big challenge. Um, and, and speaking of staff, you know, one of the challenges I've seen is uh, just, just in the role as a health and safety director, um, typically I don't think we're usually in the places where we are, right up front managing staff, telling offices where and when staff can go to projects, um, those sorts of things. A lot of us are managing self-quarantine lists. Um, maybe our company is self-quarantining people when in a, a little bit more of a conservative way than um, the federal guidance is telling us we need to, um, which I think is, is quite smart. GZA has been doing that, but just being out front in that role is, is a little bit different for most safety people. Um, I, I would think, I would think, and you know, right now in this very moment, I think the biggest challenge I'm facing is helping the company with, um, I'll just call it the, um, I had written down the uncomfortability level of staff, but, um, I'll just call it fear, you know, staff right now are scared to go work in the field. Um, in our particular case, we work in the New York City metro area quite a bit. And, you know, that's not the greatest place to be working right now. So managing that fear um, with staff has been a big challenge. And I, I think that the way, at least at GZA, we've been able to do that is um, it, it does go to communication. We do weekly updates, um, all company updates. Um, and we, we're just sticking to the science. You know, we're I think all of us are lucky in that we're dealing with, with scientists or scientist associated people. And if, if we focus on the science, that's a good way to um, put things in an understandable level for staff. I, I'll give one example of, of um, one of the things we've done where this has sort of worked. 
Um, it just so happens that at GZA, one of our talented engineers is also the owner of a whiskey distillery. Um, so we were able to get hand sanitizer from his company, which was fantastic. We got it quickly. We got it in bulk and we got it out to all of our offices to use. So, and I think that just lets our staff know that we're, we're really working to, um, you know, we're on their side. We're, we're all learning through this together, but we're, we're trying to do whatever we need to do to, to have the best outcomes. That's awesome. Awesome story. And uh, I think we will want to include his contact information for uh, future GBA events. And we can all decide independently whether we want it for the hand sanitizer or for the primary product. <laughs> uh, Jim, so how about you uh, as Terracon's health and safety director? What are your biggest challenges right now? Pretty similar to what Rick said. I think it's balancing the timely response uh, with that expert or with that scientific advice and vetting the information that comes in to make sure it is from a reputable source. You know, we've been trying to stick with CDC and World Health Organization guidelines, making sure that when we establish our internal protocols that we're at least at a minimum following what the CDC and the World Health Organization is recommending. Uh, I'm seeing lots of bad advice uh, coming in uh, or just stuff that isn't vetted properly, uh, rumors and, uh, and making sure that we vet that information. Um, initially, from a personal standpoint, I, and I think all safety professionals, we always talk about being proactive. For this first couple of weeks of this, uh, you know, we're probably about three, maybe four weeks into this, we were being very reactive. And that's an uncomfortable feeling you want to get to the point where you're being proactive and we're trying to trying to be proactive, but things are still changing. CDC likes to change their guidelines at five o'clock on a Friday night. Uh, so a lot of times we're working through weekends to address those. But then getting outside of COVID, just the day-to-day -day safety operations that still have to go on. We still have employees reporting near misses. We still have employees reporting vehicle incidents uh, or problems in the field, still having to create health and safety plans for projects. So it's fitting in all the day-to-day -day stuff that we do all the time and fit in COVID and manage the distraction that COVID is providing to our field employees and to our, to our managers and to our supervisors. So that whole balancing match has been a big challenge for us. Uh, but we we're getting I, I feel I feel good that we're getting to be a little more proactive about our approach now after a few weeks. Yeah, that's that's really good to recognize the difference between reactive and proactive. And, and I can understand how reactive is very uncomfortable, especially for all of you that are uh, focused your lives on health and safety. Paula, how about you? Uh, what is the biggest challenge that you have right now? Um, I, I have to start out by saying one of the benefits that I found right now is a good re working relationship that, that I have developed over the years with our HR and our legal staff, and that's come in handy because Rick mentioned how closely we're all working, and lucky for me, I do not have to be the one to maintain the list of quarantine individuals for Gannett Fleming. That's being done out of HR. Challenges, though, 
the biggest challenge, I think, one of them anyhow, is that the changes to the CDC recommendations that have occurred, um, you know, for a long time they were saying you didn't need to wear a face covering, and then I think it was a week and a half ago that they said wear face coverings, and then add to that, we have some individuals at Gannett Fleming that have um, uh, medical clearance to wear a respirator, like an N95 or a half-face or a full-face respirator, and the N95s, well, first off, you can't get them. <laughs> but if you can get them at like Home Depot or Lowe's and you bring them to work, then all of a sudden that becomes an OSHA requirement for Gannett Fleming to make sure that you have a medical clearance to, to wear that personal protective equipment. So uh, that's been kind of a challenge for us uh, for the last couple of weeks as well. And then add to that the fact that I can't get the face coverings. I mean, I've the biggest frustration is is I'm ordering things from vendors and I get a confirmation back for the order. Like you have 2000 face coverings on the way. And then three days later, after you make an announcement to employees that these 2000 face coverings are on the way, that the order was canceled because FEMA stepped in and took them. So that's been a big challenge. And right now I have orders out with multiple vendors to, to get face coverings and Typically, our safety program, we run kind of in a just-in-time order fashion. We, we have an online account with Granger, and we have uh, direct shipping for all equipment that's sent to the 68 different locations or anybody's house. Um, but I can't get nitrile gloves either. So that's been a frustration. I don't have a storage place where I would stockpile these items. And um, if I did, I don't know that I would have known that I needed to stockpile you know, 4,000 cloth face coverings back in, you know, uh, October, or November. So that's been a big challenge for us too. Definitely sounds like a, a big challenge. The supply chain issue is is really impacting everybody right now, healthcare workers um, and, and our member firms as well. Um, I, go ahead. I was just going to add, please. I was just going to add to that, that, you know, most safety directors don't get into this position for the glory of it. Um, we're here to make sure that the employees are, are, are safe at their jobs, and it can add uh, an aspect of um, disappointment that you're not meeting their requirements to do the work that they have to do in the field. Great. There is a follow-on question to that. Uh, Paula, maybe you can help us answer. Um, uh, somebody typed into the chat group, what are firms doing now? Uh, are face coverings required for working on project sites or in the office? We are requiring people to uh, obtain or make their own CDC uh, face covering that we are providing the CDC guidelines for how to make those. And we have, I think I have, don't tell my boss who's on this call, but I think I have 6,000 on order from various vendors so that I can get them out to employees that are actually out doing the work right now. But we're also stressing to people that you need to uh, maintain social distancing as well from others and, and do things like not sharing pens. If you're, you're having your tailgate safety meeting, you're not going to pass a clipboard around and have everybody sign up saying that they were at the meeting. So we're practicing other things as well as the mask, the face coverings. Yeah, Jim and Rick, if I could, yeah, please do, Rick. Yeah, it, I was just going to add on to that. I absolutely am feeling what Paula is saying right now. And... Uh, we're in the same boat and 
The other thing I'll add is just as an industrial hygienist, you know, I'm, I'm sort of part safety professional and part industrial hygienist. And um, it's another real challenge when you're really going from the place of you want to present the science to employees to even be talking about face coverings um, because they're basically completely ineffective um, against protecting someone from getting a, the virus. We, we, um, our, our last uh, GZA1, our, our weekly um, training session on this dealt almost completely with masks. And I did want to get into the science with employees and, and sort of help them understand what was going on with that. Um, and it, it's not lost on me, and I don't think it's lost on any of our staff that um, before all this started happening, N95s, I mean, I'd, I would have recommended those for woodworking in your garage or cutting your grass. It's just not a respirator that I would have recommended for much else than that. And now all of a sudden they're the hottest respirator in the whole wide world. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you all have touched on the next topic um, as you've answered uh, some of the previous questions, but communication with your employees must be one of the biggest challenges right now for each of you. Um, with a very dynamic news cycle and lots of information, some good and some not so good coming into them. Uh, as you, and then you continue to provide essential services as part of your business, um, which requires that your staff go out into the field and work on active projects. So Jim, what communication methods have been most effective in reaching Terracon employees? I don't know if I can say what's most effective. We've taken short, sort of a shotgun approach in trying to get the information out uh, in all different ways. We immediately built uh, an internal uh, intranet company website where we started putting the COVID-19 information that was vetted, the policies, the procedures, the resources that were available. Uh, then we quickly added a, not a daily email, but we added a COVID update. 19 update email to all employees. It's usually coming out, it's down to about twice a week now, usually when there's a major change to a, to a policy or a CDC recommendation, we'll push out a direct email to all employees. Um, one of the things we did was send a home mailer, uh, just something to the home. This was at the very beginning and we're not doing as much paper communication anymore, you know, because of the try to reduce the spread, but uh, getting to the families, making sure that the spouses knew that there were resources available. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the video, we're using video formats, the, the internet uh, and smartphones all have a great ability to send out video messages. One of the things we heard from our people was an email from your CEO is great, but a video is even better and getting that personal connection, trying to make these things, what we call personal relevant and important uh, in all the communications and just trying to balance too much information versus what, uh, what employees need to know. So just using every potential resource there is and every technology uh, to hit not only employees, but their families as well. Great, very good. Paula, anything significantly different from Gannett Fleming's perspective? Well, I would add that um, in the very beginning of this, we had our co corporate management team had a daily meeting, a daily huddle to talk about this. And, and this is way before things were closed down officially. We kind of had a, we kind of had a, a jump start on things. 
And the CEO is active on those meetings as well as the operations leaders. So that's kind of helpful to us. Uh, the CEO sends out a weekly emailer to all employees that has critical information. And uh, One thing they did do, though, they did a live stream, which was pretty awesome to be able to, um, for employees to see the CEO and the COO speaking to everybody about the status of the firm and where we're headed and how we're dealing with uh, the situation. Another thing we did um, is that we created a SharePoint site where we put stuff out for employees to access like a HASP amendment and other COVID information that changes daily from the CDC website. The, the broadcast was a really great thing, but the one thing I did want to mention is that thanks to my friend Rick here on the call, he had a great idea and he shared it with me. He did a PowerPoint um, for field safety professionals and, and how to work safely in the field in this era of, of COVID-19. And I was able to share that with uh, employees. I, I created my own, thanks to Rick, and used Microsoft Teams to share that with our field employees. So, you know, teamwork is important for all of us uh, to, to take advantage of where we can. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, that's anytime, uh, Bob. one of the great values of GBA is sharing uh, valuable information, just like these that we're doing here today. Um, so, Rick, any additional ideas on communication, that critical piece of this whole risk management um, process? Sure. It, it's it's really been our number one weapon in um, combating all of this um, uncertainty right now is communications. We have very much over-communicated right now, um, but e even with the over-communication, people are just interested in this topic obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, I mentioned the, the weekly trainings that we do and, you know, it, it, we've had our whole pandemic team on those um, streaming calls like Paula was just mentioning. So it's not only the safety information that's getting out, it's how the firm's doing, um, an update from the CEO, our HR director and what um, some things HR wise look like, you know, things as simple as where to charge your time. I can't work this week. Where do I put that time? Um, all that come, comes out in a situation like this. Um, the two things that are different that I wanted to mention, we really tried um, to preempt what people were going to be seeing on the news in those sessions. So um, our, our social distancing guidelines at GZA, we were pretty aggressive with those up front. Um, we right off the bat limited uh, meetings to no, no more than 10 um, people in the same place at the same time. And it took um, everybody else a while to not consultants, but um, the news and even the federal government um, quite a while to catch up to that. So um, another situation like that was masks. We, we let people know that there was a huge controversy brewing and um, the CDC and the federal government and everybody was fighting about this mask issue um, before they saw it on TV. And I just think that that gave our staff a lot of confidence. Um, the other thing we did communication wise is we, very quickly, we, we have an internal learning management system at GZA, um, as a lot of you probably do too. But we, we quickly got courses on how to work effectively at home or for our management, how to connect with their remote employees, how to keep work going when all our, your employees are remote. Just things that our staff weren't used to doing um, and still are getting used to doing, I, I, I would say. But at least we had some training support there for, for them to, to make that transition. 
That's great. Um, what I heard consistently from all of you is that you've gone into over communication mode, which is really important right now. Um, and whether your firm is as large as Terracons or not, so you don't necessarily have to set up a whole website for it, but setting up some sort of communication method. And if it's a small firm, maybe it's just, maybe it's as simple as a text string, uh, a group of people that you're communicating with regularly. Um, the use of video seems to be really important uh, to all of your firms, and, and I, I've seen it from some of our other member firms, so highly recommend. Uh, people want to see the CEO, especially in times of crisis, and it sounds like that's um, maybe an easy tool that you could do, use to uh, reassure your staff uh, as these are very uh, unsettling times. So thank you all for sharing those really great ideas. And I think that everybody on the call could grab something from that and enhance their processes. Um, I will put in a plug right now for the GBA uh, COVID-19 member resources page on our website, where we're collecting great information like uh, Rick and Paula have shared amongst themselves and making that available to our members and uh, that slide presentation that Rick talked about, we'll look for the opportunity to add that to our website as well, so that you can, like Gannett Fleming has done, made it their own, use that for leverage, uh, but uh, help our member firms to use uh, tools like that for each other. So if you have ideas, please share them with us, and we'd be happy to add those to our COVID-19 member resources section on the GBA website. Uh, also want to say that looks like there's some people using the chat function and uh, so thank you for that and we will ask questions uh, as time allows or uh, continue to monitor those to see how we could augment the answers here. Um, back to our panelists and Jim I think this is a question for you. Uh, many of our members maintain laboratories to analyze the physical characteristics of soil and construction materials or for environmental purposes. Um, and these are pretty unique working situations where samples are being delivered either by our staff or by others. And uh, the workspaces are generally smaller, relatively confined. How is Terracon making adjustments to your laboratories in light of the coronavirus? Yeah, most of the, that, that, that was a challenge. Most of the adjustments were centered around the social distancing. And as you mentioned, the lab spaces, I don't want to say they're neglected, but they're not probably as big and as spacious as they should be. So social distancing becomes a challenge. Uh, we started, we create what we call pre-test planning protocols. It's kind of like a, what you might be familiar with as a JHA but we started with a bunch of recommendations on steps that operations could take to improve or increase that social distancing in the lab. Uh, then operations came back with some other great ideas once they started implementing some of these things, but it was really some, a lot of it was centered around the work schedule. So we immediately started staggering the work schedule to where people are coming in at four o'clock in the morning uh, and not working that normal shift uh, so we anywhere from four in the morning till nine, 10 o'clock at night, which of course presented the lone worker concerns, making sure that we protected employees from a lone worker standpoint. Uh, and then the security concerns to make sure that the doors were locked at night when we normally had the alarm systems on. 
So we had to address some extra safety concerns when they started adjusting the work schedule. Um, face shields and masks were one of the first things we put into place in the labs due to the challenge of maintaining the social distancing. A uh, lot like what your grocery stores are doing, putting tape on the floor where you kind of know where that six foot line is, helping with the reminders uh, there. Um, the sample drop off was, an, uh, was something that we addressed as well. Um, we made sure that our clients that were dropping off samples knew that we wanted them to drop them off in a designated area out back to limit the interaction. If any type of chain of custody was required, we wanted to make sure we addressed it via uh, some sort of electronic, whether it's using the phone to snap a picture of the chain of custody. So we limited that interaction between people handing over clipboards or signing documents. Uh, designated these sample drop-off areas, put some cleaning protocols into place, a, a light mist of, uh, of a bleach solution on the samples or a wipe down, which of course brought up the concerns that if they were environmental samples or we were testing for chlorites or something like that, we had to make sure that we didn't, that we didn't add any contaminant that could be picked up uh, in the laboratory analysis. So making sure that we address those things uh, as a safety professional, my favorite thing that we did in the lab was to increase the cleaning. Uh, we all know what the challenges are with cleaning in the labs. So I hope when we come out of this that we will maintain the effort that we're putting into cleaning in these labs and, uh, and make them look more like medical labs as opposed to concrete testing labs. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, hopefully we'll maintain that cleanliness and order going forward. That'll be a good thing that comes out of this. Um, I think another thing that I heard from you, Jim, is that you're allowing uh, to for some non-traditional work hours, um, which helps in that social distancing. Uh, but I think it also helps employees right now when we're juggling kids at home and two working spouses that may be working in the home and uh, or a spouse that has to work outside of the home in healthcare uh, and allowing some flexibility there. It sounds like you're addressing that and making that available for your lab staff so that they can uh, juggle their schedules, their personal schedules with their work schedules. Absolutely, and I just repeat what I said about making sure you keep an eye on those lone worker considerations. You know, anybody working alone in the lab uh, we don't like that. Uh, even the simple tasks, um, you know, unexpected things can happen, even if it's a personal issue like a heart attack. So we're trying to make sure that we have at least two people in the lab or that there's some sort of check-in process. Uh, so these, these adaptations that we're doing to the work schedules can bring up other hazards. So just keep an eye out for those. Yeah, that's a great point. So now I'd like to shift to our clients. Um, they also are dealing with this pandemic issue that came out of nowhere. And I expect that this is posing some new challenges for them. So Paula, what are the biggest challenges that your clients are having right now? Uh, thanks, Joe. In, in preparation for answering this question, I talked to one of the operations leaders who's in our daily huddles with the CEO and the COO. And his take was that some of our clients might be panicking a little bit because they're losing all the revenue. Like for example, transit and rail clients, um, nobody's riding the trains right now. So there's no, uh, there's no income for them. Our transportation clients, like people aren't driving on the turnpike. So there's no toll revenue and gas taxes down. So their revenues are all dry drying up. 
So um, the concern for our clients right now is where the money might come from to continue projects or even institute pro projects that haven't been started yet. So his line to me was that when revenue stops, everybody suffers. So our projects might, might not happen. The ones that were intended to happen maybe even next year. Yeah, that is a challenge. Rick, how about you? What are the challenges that your clients are facing? Um, so it, it, it's a big topic, the, 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 but I, I guess in general, I would say they're, they're facing the same challenges that we're all facing. It, it's, um, they're trying to figure out guidance from the CDC and who and federal government, who to listen to, what to do, um, and, and all those sorts of things, just like we all are. Um, the, the other two things I would mention is um, construction clients. So many of them, most of them are essential businesses and they are continuing their work. But there's also many states that are putting pretty strict requirements on um, construction sites right now. And if you look at those requirements pretty, pretty deeply, I don't know how a construction site actually complies with any of them. So that's, that's one thing where GZA, it, maybe it's skipping a little bit ahead to um, other areas, but it, I think that's one area where consulting firms can actually help is, is um, we can help them look at their jobs to see what's going on. The other thing I'll mention is, um, you know, a lot of our clients have lots of buildings and some of those buildings still have people in them. And even at this point, they still have people in them. And what do you do when somebody gets sick in your building? Um, there, there has to be some things that happen there. Um, and there, there is guidance around that as well. And, and something that people are just starting to think about, clients are just starting to think about, uh, sort of even separate from COVID-19 is, I've had this empty building for two months now. Um, there might be some issues when I open back up. There might be mold, there might be moisture, there might be Legionella in the HVAC system. Um, a lot of those types of things are going to start coming up as we're all sort of, um, you know, getting on the other side of the curve and all that other language that you're hearing on the news. I, I'm going to follow up to that question after I ask Jim what challenges, biggest challenges his clients are facing right now. I think the same thing. I don't know how much more I can add to what Rick and Paula said going into a little more detail when Rick mentioned the state orders about essential business. We've been trying to help our clients understand uh, we've got a very talented legal department that's going through each and every one of these orders and helping them understand uh, maybe a client notifies us and says, hey, we're, we're shutting down this project because we're not essential. We can actually help them understand the state or the local regulation and say, well, you know, let, let's take a look at this again and maybe you are essential or the opposite direction where a client may be trying to sneak in a project that may not be considered essential in some of the more strict areas and try to give them some advice to say, hey, we're not comfortable continuing on this. You might want to take a closer look at your at your state or your local regulation. So helping them un understand those uh, understand those state by state and in some cases municipality by municipality uh, essential business or shelter in place orders. Uh, the other place that we've tried to help out is with the employee reactions. Um, you know, HIPAA is a big part of the COVID issue and balancing what information you can give uh, versus what you have to keep confidential and 
again, with some help from our human resources department, uh, trying to help our, our clients understand what they can and can't say, because we want to feel comfortable that if there is a positive on the project site that our employees weren't exposed and just getting an email that says somebody was exposed, the site shut down, doesn't allow us to communicate effectively to our people. So reaching back out to that client and saying, Hey, here's how we're approaching this. And here's, here's the things we could, we feel comfortable sharing. Do you think you could check back with your human resources and, and get, get us some more information? And we've had good luck, uh, at least not, not providing legal advice, but pointing our clients in the right direction or giving them some questions that they can ask uh, to help better manage their programs. I think it's uh, great that we have true consultants on the line because I asked uh, the question about what your client, what problems your clients are having right now. And you're also starting to tell us how you're solving those problems for your clients. So uh, in true consultant fashion, um, Rick, this morning I was looking at LinkedIn and I saw that GZA is offering some new services or really ramping up some services that you're providing to your clients Maybe you can share with us um, what opportunities that GZA has identified uh, to provide your clients with maybe some new services or uh, promoting services that you already provide um, in response to this pandemic. Yeah, of course. And, and some of that, I, 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 I did jump ahead, I think, and t touched on a little bit of that when we were talking about the last question. Um, and it, it comes out of those things, you know, one of the... Um, one of the things I think is, is really important is that companies don't offer things that they don't do well themselves already. I know everybody won't share that view, but it, it is kind of guiding um, how GZA is responding to client offerings. And so, it, you know, industrial hygiene things like um, validating cleaning and disinfection services is something that we started doing at GZA. That's really the, the most prevalent um, sort of service that we're offering. Um, and in addition, as I mentioned before, the, in particular in the state of Massachusetts, where the, the executive orders around construction have been so strict, um, we're able to, to help a lot of those clients sort of navigate those, those regulations. And, and in particular, and not to get too deep in the weeds, but if a, a city shuts down a construction project, there's a set of rules that you have to follow to get um, that construction project going again. And um, that's that's absolutely a place where we can come in and do that quickly and help that site out. Great. Paula, any new opportunities that Gannett Fleming has identified to help out your clients? Uh, sure. Uh, we have an external facing security and safety group, and they specialize in development of business continuity plans for, for external clients. So that's something that they're ramping up on. And also the notify system that I talked about earlier that we use that we call alert me for our program um, has been offered for free to some existing clients to uh, issue notifications to their employees. And GeoDecisions also created a dashboard for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that uh, identified uh, COVID-19 locations. So it's, it's an interesting GIS application that they've created. Um, and like Rick said, we're going to be looking for ways to help our, our clients get back into business as things proceed. Uh, Gannon Fleming has two certified industrial hygienists, myself and, and a colleague of mine that can help with indoor air quality issues like the mold or the Legionella things that, that Rick was talking about earlier. 
So that's something, of course, as we move into recovery as opposed to response that, that we're going to be uh, exercising more of and, and advertising more for with our internal clients, uh, like in mechanical, for example, in our facilities group. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And, and Jim, how about you? Any new offerings, new opportunities? We've chosen not to get into the COVID-specific things like disinfection or testing or anything like that directly related to COVID, but we have seen some increased opportunities with our healthcare group, uh, hospitals and healthcare doing some, uh, it's our normal business, but they're moving forward with remodels and opening up different uh, areas or expansions, moving a little quicker. Uh, One product that we've been been able to push a little harder is our stage one geo report, which allows us the ability to to do some geophysical testing based on our database of of geology all across the country. Uh, We can actually provide some geo report capabilities without ever sending anybody out to a project site. So we're seeing an increase in, in that offering that we have, uh, but really it's not new, it's just uh, increased opportunities in the ser- some of the services that we already provide. It seems that that opportunity would be consistent with most of our firms uh, because we all operate in a sh- certain geography and while we may not keep it on GIS, we all have local knowledge about uh, soil conditions, um, groundwater conditions. So that might be something that all of us look for in the future is to provide at least preliminary information based on our knowledge and our data set, maybe to be followed up at some point in the future with drilling for confirmation purposes. But that might be something that I hadn't thought about it before, but I think something that we all might consider is how can we continue to provide services to our clients and then maybe follow it up with some confirmation at some point when uh, when our society is back opened up. I'd be interested to hear people's comments about that. Um, okay, in addition to our employees and our clients, successful delivery of projects requires extended enterprises of subcontractors, subconsultants, and other extended project team members. Paula, how is Gannett Fleming communicating with subcontractors and what requirements, if any, are you uh, putting on subcontractors to uh, maintain health and safety in light of this pandemic? That's an interesting question. Um, we do, we have been posting all of our SharePoint, all of our COVID-19 information on a SharePoint site for employees as well as project managers. So they can share those with subcontractors and of course, we involve legal in, in all of those discussions because we, we don't necessarily enforce our safety uh, requirements to subcontractors, especially in an age where these safety guidelines and recommendations are changing some days from morning to, to night. And I think uh, Rick and Jim would agree to that. Um, one, one difficult conversation I had yesterday, uh, somebody on a project site said, what do I do? The subcontractor is not wearing a face covering. And so once again, I had to explain that social distancing is also supposed to be used in, in, even if you have a face cover on for yourself. So stay away from the people. Um, We're not going to shut a job down because the subcontractor employee isn't wearing a face covering. 
but we do need to maintain our social distance and continue not sharing clipboards and pens and those kind of things with uh, the sub-employees that are on the project site. We've also Great. had uh, we've also had a lot of um, discussions with legal uh, when it comes to the potential uh, exposures. So I think Rick or Jim said earlier, uh, there's some like kind of hearsay, you know, I think this sub's brother's uncle had COVID, so what do we do? Do we need to shut this job down and those kind of situations? So, so I'll go back to my good relationship with legal and, and HR um, at Gannett Fleming so that we can discuss those things and, and move forward with uh, recommendations or not recommendations for people to self-isolate. Great. Uh, Jim or Rick, do you have any other thoughts on how you're communicating with subs and uh, other extended enterprise team members? No, it's about the same, uh, just using the talents that we have uh, as a bigger company and sharing those with our subcontractors and, and partnering with them, giving them the information, helping them uh, learn Microsoft Teams or how to work virtually with Zoom or whatever they may not be familiar with, uh, especially if they're smaller, uh, you know, even one or two person company subcontractors that don't have the resources that we have and just making sure we share and build those, build those partnerships and hopefully it lasts a long time. And that goes hand in hand with somebody's comment about uh, an opportunity to work with clients is to help share technologies like this or other communications so people can work successfully at home. I thought that was a great idea because we're all learning it and have, have learned it over the past three weeks. And if we can share that with clients, uh, it, it forms that tie that uh, they'll remember post-crisis. Uh, um, Rick, any other thoughts about working with subs and, uh, and other extended enterprise? Sure. Um, it, you know, the way I've been messaging this at GZA is that we have the framework to um, inform subcontractors of the expectations on project sites already. Um, we have subcontractors of or sign a subcontract agreement. It has the legal language in it that um, requires them to comply with all OSHA rules. Um, if we send them our, at, our, at our discretion, we can send them our health and safety documentation and um, they know that that's the expectation that they must meet at a minimum on those sites. Um, but what I will say is that um, before COVID-19, I guess I'll say it that way, that didn't happen all the time, the health and safety plan um, and sending that to the, the subcontractor. Uh, we're definitely doing that now. And I, I think um, from everything, uh, you know, from face masks to what we're going to do on the site to what the tailgate meeting is going to discuss to what happens if somebody gets sick on that site, that's all outlined in the JHA that we've prepared. And so that, that just puts people on the same page even before they mobilize to the site. And I think that um, has helped a bit with our, our field staff not uh, feeling so uncomfortable about, you know, what exactly is going to happen to subcontractors. Yeah. Again, a lot of communication uh, in all directions. Uh, so we've got some good questions from the, those that are attending the call and continue to add those if you wish. But before we address those questions, I think it's also important that we as GBA members are good stewards in the communities that we have the opportunity to work. 
I just thought I'd ask uh, our panelists today uh, if there are things that your company is doing to help support others in your community that may not be a client uh, relationship. Uh, Jim, are you aware of anything that uh, Terracon is doing to help in your communities? Every one of our local offices is active in their community. We're, uh, charitable and social responsibility is really important to Terracon. Uh, we've seen lots of uh, anywhere from, you know, sur in the beginning, some surplus PPE donations, uh, some money, direct contributions, but the Terracon Foundation as a corporate entity is matching dollar for dollar on most of our, uh, our local office uh, contributions. Uh, that's the biggest thing we're doing right now. Awesome. That was something that struck me at our last week's town hall meeting was uh, our members are going into their storage rooms looking for some of that uh, extra PPE equipment and, and getting it out into the healthcare, um, the, the healthcare workers hands. Uh, that was just really heartwarming to me. Um, Rick, anything from GZA standpoint? Um, it, sort of similar to what Jim was just saying. We, we um, look through our storerooms as well. Um, GZA, unfortunately, in this case, is a company where we, we very actively try to situate our job sites so that we do not have to wear respiratory protection. So we didn't have a lot of that to, to offer, but what we did, we, we did um, donate, and that's from our, our 30 offices um, across the, the country. Um, I think the biggest thing we've been able to do is, uh, you know, acting as one company, um, we've, we've almost formally extended that to our, our um, staff's loved ones. Um, I think Paul and Jim both talked earlier about um, employees, moms or brothers or sisters or aunts or whoever is, is, you know, we're dealing with the scientists in our company. Those folks are lay people and um, making them comfortable is a lot of what our staff is doing right now with their family. So we've tried to help in that way too. Great. Paula? Anything oh, to add? Yeah, similarly, we, we did uh, have a couple of our offices that had some N95 masks that they donated uh, to local hospitals. I know one was out in Pittsburgh. We don't have anything quite organized yet for the entire firm, but, you know, um, just the other day, and it's interesting, I, I was on an email request by a local food distribution agency, a food bank, to use the parking lot in our Camp Hill office to distribute food um, to uh, the needy. And um, interestingly enough, it was me, the, the um, property manager and legal copied on that. And it was of course approved. So there's a lot of things that we can do that don't necessarily mean we're donating, you know, thousands of dollars, but given that simple act of allowing the food bank to use our parking lot to distribute food is, is something else that we can do to uh, as giving. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go to a few questions from our chat group. Um, June asked, do we have recommendations for employees that live with healthcare workers? Well, <laughs> I, I, I can start that one off and just tell you that um, I've, I've found out more, I've, I've learned more about our employees in the past four weeks than I knew about them in the past seven years that I've worked at GGA. Um, and this is one thing that really commonly comes up is I work with a nurse or I work with a doctor or 
you know, or, or, or that the permutations on that are, are sort of endless. Um, and, you know, the CDC guidance is pretty good in that regard. It does tell you about isolation. Um, and I, I find a lot of the conversations I'm having right now, they're not the most com comfortable conversations, actually. It's, it's, you know, you and your spouse are going to have to sleep in different beds right now. You're going to have to use different restrooms right now. You're going to have to not share utensils and glasses and all those other good things. And um, so just, just, just being there to support those types of questions from staff is, is something that um, is taking a lot of my time right now, to be honest. Yeah. And it's time well spent, I think. <laughs> um, Jim, uh, Joe asked, can you talk about social distancing for drillers and drilling assistance when working together? My experience uh, working as a driller helper was that augers are not six feet. So uh, how do we maintain social distancing on drilling sites? Yeah, that one's tough. Uh, so, you know, there's some easier things you can do. Um, you know, we we started with the face shields or or some sort of face covering a couple of weeks ago before the CDC rolled out. So we had recommended uh, that that our drill crews use some sort of mask or face cover, um, getting them to take a couple steps back uh, when the driller's on the control stand and the assistant is at the four o'clock position of the drill rig. You know, inherently what we see is they wanna be too close anyway. So if we can get them to take a couple steps back and increase that distance at the back of the drill, uh, they're outside, the wind's blowing, you know, so trying to educate them on wind direction and where they're standing. Um, starting out with if you feel any symptoms don't come to work making sure that they realize that um, you know the biggest challenge with the drillers though is when you have one driller driving the rig and one driller driving the or one assistant driving the support truck and they're staying out of town how they can't drive the rig to the to the hotel at night so they're forced to ride in the same vehicle that's where we want to make sure that they're not exhibiting any symptoms, if they drive with the windows down if possible to increase ventilation. We're trying to get multiple vehicles out so they don't have to, to ride in the same vehicle. Uh, but the drillers are probably one of them that's increased more, uh, that's caused more of a challenge for us. Um, from a travel standpoint, we've asked them not to share hotel rooms. We've in increased our per diem or we're just flat out paying for an extra hotel room to make sure that, uh, that they don't share rooms. We've given, given them some guidance on, you know, where they should eat, how they should eat, don't eat off of buffets, things like that. Um, you know, everything they can do, not only to maintain the social distancing from themselves, but from others. You know, we, we're giving our drillers permission to tell the geologists to stand back, which they love, by the way. So uh, making sure that, that the clients are not right over the shoulder of the driller and, and getting in their business behind the rig. So, um, you know, and just making sure that they know they have the, the freedom to say, no, we just can't make this work and, and either stop work and readjust or, uh, you know, or, or put something into place that, that that's a tough question. And yeah. if anybody has any great ideas on that, I think we've just about every idea that I've heard of from my friends in the drilling business, uh, we've put into place, but, but, uh, yeah, you're right. When you got to do a team lift on an auger, um, that you're not going to get six feet away, but it, 
it makes me more concerned about the normal day-to-day -day hazards on the drill rig that the distraction that COVID-19 is providing. Uh, we may protect you from COVID-19, but we end up having a slipped disc or a blown back uh, because we were so worried about COVID that we adjusted our work practices. So one of the big messages that we're trying to get to our drill crews is don't let COVID become a distraction that causes you to get hurt in another way uh, and, and keep the good safe work practices in place and add the COVID work practices as well. Yeah, that's great advice because those other risks all still are out there and this is just on top of it and uh, is a distraction. Uh, Craig Hill shared some important information. Uh, owners, developers should be aware of the recent change in the depreciation laws. And it could be a 15 years, which will be a really big boom for property owners and uh, a great opportunity for us as geoprofessionals as properties get developed. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and so uh, we're at our time, and I would like to first uh, thank the uh, thank uh, our panelists for uh, taking the time out of their very busy weeks to help prepare for this uh, and to participate as our panelists for this town hall meeting. Uh, thank you very much, Rick, Paula, and Jim, uh, for your time. You shared a lot of really valuable information. Um, I'd also like to thank Dave Duke, who's the Sa Safety, Health, and Environmental Director from SNME for all of his support as we got prepared for this. Thank you, Dave. Um, your willingness to share your experience with GBA members really emphasizes the core values of our association. When we work together, we can work through crisis, we can manage risk, and ultimately elevate our profession. And it's a really honorable profession and it's essential to the recovery of our, of our country for, from these current events. So um, thank you very, all very much. Um, I'd also like to thank everybody that attended the call today. If there's future topics that you'd like to see discussed during future town hall meetings, please just let me know. We're also always looking for leaders to share their experiences. So if you'd like to be a panelist on a future town hall meeting, uh, please let me know that as well. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit geoprofessional.org for more information and member resources.